Welcome to the Lancaster Patriot Podcast. My name is Chris Hume, the managing editor of the Lancaster Patriot, a newspaper serving Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and beyond. And I'm joined today by Pastor Joel Saint of Independence Reform Bible Church. Joel, thanks for joining me today. Glad to be here once again. All right, Joel, we are actually going live today. Uh, we're doing a Facebook Live feed, uh, so we're going to take your questions if we can. So feel free to uh, leave a comment if you're watching this live, if you're listening to it after, obviously... Uh, you can't do that, but if you do have any questions for us, any topics you'd like us to address, uh, any happenings here in Lancaster County, uh, send us an email. Send me an email, info at thelancasterpatriot.com, and uh, we, will, we will address those if we can. So uh, today, I want a brief word here from our uh, sponsor of the podcast today, and that is Park Hill Jewelry. Park Hill Jewelry, located in Ephrata, right here in Lancaster County specializes in custom-made designs to meet all your jewelry needs. For over 30 years, uh, they've been one of the most trusted names for jewelry in Central PA. Uh, They have bridal sets, engagement rings, you name it, they have it. As I've mentioned before, I've been there several times, uh, purchased a couple things, and uh, they have a great great selection. So go over to 5 uh, West Main Street in Ephrata or go to parkhilljewelry.com to get uh, whatever you need jewelry-wise. Uh, Joel, can you share briefly, we have, you have an event coming up uh, with, with Mars. Let our listeners know uh, what that is, when that will be, and where it is, if you don't mind. Sure will. Yeah, coming up on uh, Wednesday the 15th of this month, February the 15th, we will be discussing from the Mid-Atlantic, uh, sponsored by the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society, the following topic, the cultus of abortion. And three uh, speakers, um, Chris will be one, I will be one, and a fellow pastor will be one as well. We'll each take about 15 minutes. Uh, dealing with three topics on this. First of all, the problem with the pro-life label. If you've been paying attention to this battle for all these years, we've had pro-life. Chris, we've had pro-lifers for 50 years and we still have abortion. Mm-hmm. So we've got to ask how that's happening right. at this point. Spends lots of money. Um, abortion, the freedom of religion fallacy. This is a critical thing because the uh, folks that are... The, the cons- consistency of those who want to kill babies is coming out more and more. And there's been a few objections now to a ban on abortion because that is a problem with freedom of religion. If you are in a satanic cult and you want to sacrifice babies, what do you do? What, what do you do? You know, that's part of our freedom of religion, to sacrifice babies. So who are you to tell us? Right. So we really want to address that. Chris will be addressing that. And then um, I want to, uh, we'll also talk about the perversion of language in abortion marketing. Um, just one quick example, Chris, um, uh, reproductive freedom. Okay. All right. It sounds really good. Right. Um, reproductive freedom for you to kill the baby. Oh, not freedom to have a lot of babies. No, 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 no. That's terrible. Okay. No, no, not, not, not reproductive freedom that way. And not reproductive freedom in China where they had this one child policy for all these years. And no, no one seemed to complain about that. That's not too freeing, but I think the worst, well, they're all bad. How about re- reproductive freedom for the baby? Mm-hmm. Uh, the baby doesn't get any reproductive freedom at all. Right. So anyway, we are going to be addressing these topics, hitting them hard. It's going to be at the Brickerville Fire Company, which is at 10 Hopeland Road in Lititz, 7 o'clock on this coming Wednesday evening, February the 15th. Hope to see you there because um, there's only Chris, there's only one, one way to hit this topic, and that's to hit it hard. Right. And hit it with the biblical truth, which is what we want to talk about today. We're going to get into the objections raised to applying the Bible to the civil sphere. So 
on this podcast, if you've listened at all, you know that Joel and I deal with uh, happenings here in the county and sometimes outside the county, and we seek to apply the biblical worldview and biblical law to those situations. Uh, so today we want to deal with some of those objections to doing so. Some people will step back and say, why are you even trying to apply the Bible and the Christian religion to the civil sphere? You shouldn't even be doing that. So we want to address those objections, and I want to give an opportunity for people to, if they have any questions on that topic, uh, put them in the comments below. I'll try to access them if I can, uh, and if I don't get to them today, we'll try to do a follow-up. And feel free to send an email as well to info at the LancasterPatriot.com uh, for questions about this topic or other issues uh, potentially that we could address. Joel, before we get into the, some of these objections, though, I would like us to... Um, I actually have a breaking news for you, Joel, here. All right. Breaking news. You may have, you may have seen this. Uh, perhaps you haven't. You're going to be shocked. All right. Okay, you're going to be shocked. This is from WGAL. All right. And uh, education leaders applaud ruling on Pennsylvania school funding system. And this is how the, uh, the it's a very brief write-up from uh, reporter Ann Shannon, and it goes like this, a historic win for students. That's what education leaders are calling Tuesday's decision. So this was two days ago. I'm, I'm worried already. <laughs> Tuesday's decision by a Commonwealth Court judge that found the school funding system in Pennsylvania, you get this, you ready for it, Joel, falls woefully short. Oh, my word. Uh, the ruling, uh, so the school district not, of Lancaster. Not enough money, I'm shocked. <laughs> not enough money. The school district of Lancaster. Well, a few more money, we're going to turn them all into Einsteins. That's right. Uh, I guess the, the billions and billions and billions of dollars year after year after year were not enough. So the school of district of Lancaster was one of six districts that filed a lawsuit eight years ago saying that school funding just isn't fair. The ruling is what they were hoping for. Here's a quote from retired uh, Superintendent Damaris Rao of, uh, I guess that's uh, in Lancaster County here. It's such a huge, huge decision for kids. And save the kids, of course. Nothing about us. No, no, nothing about the teachers' union. Nothing about that. It's all the kids. She said she was speechless when she heard a judge ruled that Pennsylvania's public school funding system doesn't just fall short. It also violates, violates the rights of poor students to get an education equal to their peers. Rao testified in Commonwealth Court about her experience as leader of the school district of Lancaster. So there it is, Joel, breaking news. I know you would never have expected it that the, uh, the, the government uh, entities there, the, the, the magistrates, would say, you know what, the problem with public education in Pennsylvania is that there's just not enough money. Yeah, yeah. So, Shocking, of course, uh, not really, but the issue here is, again, why is the government involved in this? And, and we have spoken at length on the issue of government education. And here, again, is just a classic example of they, they don't know how, what the issue is. And just throw more money at the problem, and that'll solve it. So let, let's get right into this now, Joel. Um, the education issue, for example, trying to apply the Bible to that. Any other issues? People are going to say... Some, I want to address some objections, Joel, and I have several here, and if anybody wants to, to share any others with us, we can deal with them. Um, let's start with uh, so many places we could start with, Joel. Let's start with the issue of um, the Bible doesn't speak to the civil realm. I'm going to start with a nice softball for you, and then maybe we can get into some other objections here. And, um, you know, we've dealt with a lot of these objections uh, as we've interacted with people. And uh, why don't we start with that one? If they say, you know, the Bible doesn't even doesn't even deal with this, so why are you guys trying to say that it does? 
Yeah, um, I suppose you would say the Bible doesn't deal with this if you've never read the Bible. Uh, if you have read the Bible, then you would know what a terrible question that is or a terrible statement that it is. I, I know I've said this before, perhaps on this podcast, we have entire um, books named after or civil rulers or with, with civil, with civil um, authority in mind. We have First and Second, Second Kings, for example. We have the book of First and Second Chronicles, which deals with the kings of Israel and Judah. We have, for example, the book of Judges. How much more, how much more civil authority do you want to get than that? Um, and then we have a book named after the most famous judge, actually two books named after the most famous judge of all, First and Second Samuel. Now, you put those together, say Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you add to that Ezra and Nehemiah, for example, which also deal extensively. Um, read the book of Ezra. That book is, is filled up with letters between civil authorities and ecclesiastical authorities, for example. Nehemiah was a civil magistrate. When you put all those together, I, I, I believe, in term, not in terms of the amount of books, Chris, but in terms of the total volume of what's written in, in the Word of God, I think you're close to like 20% of the entire book. Maybe a little bit less than that, maybe, maybe 15, but at least 15% dealing directly with civil authorities. And the other, the, the, the other um, uh, books do as well. For example, um, Paul says to Timothy, he, he calls for prayer. Mm-hmm. For kings, you know, this, is, this isn't a letter, think about this. He's writing a letter to a pastor. And he says, Pastor Timothy, you need to encourage people to pray, or I'm encouraging people to pray for kings and, they're all, and all that are in authority, that we can lead, lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and honesty. Now think about those things. Think about the, the, the power, the, 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 the opportunity. Chris, if we could just be left alone. Mm-hmm. To lead a peaceable, quiet life, being godly, being honest. That's what Paul calls for. And interestingly enough, when we think of praying for, for kings, and I know we didn't not quite talk about this, but I'll say this anyway very briefly. We usually think of kings as like, uh, we'll pray for this king that he'll become a believer, or this, this civil magistrate, he'll become a believer. Right. Um, you know, that he'll have wisdom. That's my favorite, right? right. Uh, he'll have wisdom. <laughs> I got news. The vast majority have no interest in wisdom. But anyway, um, they'll give him wisdom as if he's just like crawling around there. Oh, I can't find any wisdom. But that aside, the prayer for kings there, for civil magistrates, Chris, is not for the kings. It's for us so that we can lead a peaceable and quiet life in all godliness and honesty. And quite frankly, um, the scriptures tell us how to do that. Uh, We'll probably get to 1 Samuel uh, today at some point. All this interaction between ecclesiastical authorities, uh, priests, and, and kings, it's all throughout the scripture. We, we have, for example, j- j- just a quick example. Um, don't kill people. You know, that, that particular commandment. Do you think there's any, uh, any responsibility for the civil magistrate there at all? So that objection, the Bible doesn't speak to this. Uh, I don't know. If someone wants to tell me that, I, I think it's going to be a short conversation because... They haven't read the Bible. Okay. Well, let's dig even deeper into it. So someone's going to say, okay, you're right, Joel. You, you know, you mentioned a lot of, uh, you did mention a passage there in the New Testament as far as praying for the rulers. So we'll give you that one. But a lot of the other stuff you mentioned was in the Old Testament. And this is the argument, one of the arguments, that when you get to the New Testament, Joel, uh, the apostles and Jesus just weren't interested in, in changing the culture 
including the civil institution. In fact, that's one of the, the, the main objections that you hear is, well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he just wasn't interested in trying to change the culture. Mm-hmm. Okay, He was not interested. He was focused on something else. Mm-hmm. And this is the argument from you know the seminarians and those that have studied the Bible, and they say, okay, well, when I read the New Testament... I, I'm going to challenge you on that. These seminarians, I'm not sure if they studied the Bible. Well, ostensibly. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 uh, uh, you'll and see why some, in a second why I well, said that. Yeah. And, and, and they have read the Bible, to be fair. But I think... Let's hope. Yes. Yeah. But the issue is, they say, okay, well, here in the New Testament, I think we get into this a lot deeper on, you know, well, how do we understand all of Scripture? But they're going to say, okay, the Apostle Paul, for example, wasn't interested in transforming society. He mm-hmm. was focused on, on building the church or, or reaching hearts and minds and things mm-hmm. like that. So I, w- I, want to, I want us to address that. <clears throat> There's a few things I want to say about that. Um, but why don't you, you start just, okay, first of all, um, is that true? Uh, did Paul, was Paul not interested in the transformation of society? Sure. Yeah, let's, let's address that. So Paul, uh, speaking to Titus, we'll, we'll just give this example right here. Paul speaking to Titus. Now, I'm in really encouraged with the book of Titus because Titus is going to Crete, and from all appearances, Crete is a godless culture. Godless culture. When it comes to culture, it was cultural, Chris, to raise your daughter to be a temple prostitute. Okay. That, that was something that they did. Okay. Do you think maybe Paul might have something to say about that culture mm-hmm. and changing that culture? It's like, oh, no, 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 just, just believe in Jesus in your heart and then uh, send your daughter off to be a temple prostitute. But it's more specific than that. Uh, Paul writes to Titus, and, and I want to talk about this for a minute. Paul says this. He says, there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So they're into the money here. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans, or yeah, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Now Paul's not saying that. He's just quoting mm-hmm. in, the, in the next, he says one of their own, right? They said it. And then he confirms it. He says, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The Apostle Paul right there is saying, soundness in the faith is the opposite of being what they are, liars, evil, and, 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 and lazy. So right there, Paul is saying in just a couple of verses, we need to change this culture here. Mm-hmm. If they're going to be sound in the faith, they're not going to be do that. So the reason why you have to rebuke them sharply is so they will be sound in the faith, and we're going to put an end to these lying, lazy people here. Yeah. And we're going to, they're going to become productive here. So I, I challenge anyone to tell me that Titus wasn't there, in part, to change that culture. Right, yeah. Now, <clears throat> that's exactly right. So, and I actually wrote something on this. This was about, what, uh, six years, seven years ago now? Uh, and I'll share it. The title of the post was, Did Paul Try to Transform Society? Um, and some people might say, well, okay, he, he, he tried to change the individual he taught people ethics. I mean, I don't know any Christian scholar who holds to the historic faith and believes in the Bible who would say, well, no, Paul, Paul didn't teach people to change their own personal ethics. So I think they would agree with us 
people that might object to applying the Bible to the civil realm would say, well, no, Paul did say, you know, he told people how to live. He told them not to steal. He told them not to murder, right? We can find those. And then we could take it a step further and say, well, he also certainly spoke to the family, right? Certainly Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Corinthians. How should the family operate? How should husbands and wives operate, uh, parents and children? <clears throat> so, he, so he addressed that. Certainly he addressed the church, right? He, he, you know, here's how the elders are supposed to, with the qualifications, how they're supposed to behave. You know, Peter does the same thing. Uh, so, he, so he certainly addressed the individual. He addressed the family he addressed the church. And I think we would all agree that in those things, he was seeking to change the way people were living in those areas. So now when we get to the civil government, this is where people say, well, no, Paul did not try to change things. He did not try to change the way that the civil government operated. He, he accepted the, the system that Rome was in control. He didn't try to change that. He, didn't go, he wasn't going about... Uh, trying to get that altered, and so therefore we shouldn't either. And my contention that I make in this article, in which I want to share a few things here, is that, well, not only did Paul try to change the societal and political landscape, which would include the civil realm, but he succeeded. So it's not only that, oh, you're telling, you're telling us in the objection here, well, Paul didn't try to change the civil government. Well, not only did he try, but he actually did change it. And maybe not in his lifetime, but if you look at the course of Western civilization and the writings of Paul and the massive impact that has had on society, including civil government, if Paul wasn't trying to change civil government and he did, well, then all the more reason for us to take a look at that. But I think he certainly did. And I want to explain why uh, briefly, and then I want you to comment on some of this, Joel. So when, when Paul, Paul taught on the, the individual, the family, the church, Okay, what was he doing when he was teaching? He was seeking to change the view of the people, right? Because if the people view, you know, in Titus, if the people, if they had the correct view of the, of the individual, of the family, of the, if the Corinthians had the correct view of the church, why is Paul writing to them to teach them this is how you should view Christ and his bride, the church? So Paul taught specifically on the civil government, and we're going to get to Romans 13, so why not go there right now, briefly, here in a second. He taught specifically on the civil government, for example, in Romans 13. He taught that the civil government was ordained by God to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil, Romans 13.4. And then, of course, if you read that passage, which we might, it's undeniable that Paul's referent there for evil is that which is contrary to God's law. I mean, he quotes the law in Romans 13. Same thing in 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, this is the law. It's good if it's used lawfully. So this is my contention that I would like to hear anybody defend or refute. That by teaching this, Romans 13, I contend that Paul was seeking to change the view that the civil government is not required to govern according to God's law. Because what Paul was saying there was different than what Caesar said. Caesar would never have said, my obligation is to punish evil according to God's revealed law. He would never have said that. He said that he was a God. So Paul saying that, Romans, and this is why I think we're so confused about Romans 13 and we use it, we misinterpret it so, uh, so much in our society. But Paul is saying, Romans 13, I want to teach you Roman Christians what the civil government is supposed to do. 
and Paul does it. He teaches them. Now, the fact of the matter is, the civil rulers in Paul's day, just like in our day, uh, often did execute wrath on, on the one that does good. And they often winked the eye at the one who did evil. So Paul was not writing here descriptively. He's writing prescriptively. What's the role of the civil government to be? Now, I want to read a quote here from the best dictionary of all time, Noah Webster, 1828. And he says, teaching... He defines teaching as communicating to another the knowledge of that which he was before ignorant. Okay, so Paul is trying to teach the Roman Christians and us, hey, you have the wrong view of civil government, and let me teach you about civil government. So anybody wants to say Paul didn't teach on the civil government or didn't try to change the view of civil government, I challenge you to go, go to Romans 13. And I think we'll dig into it maybe a little bit more. Go to Romans 13 and tell me that Paul's teaching there was not a challenge to the current view in the Roman Empire. And I don't think you'll be able to do that. So when Paul teaches on civil government, he is seeking to transform the society's view of it. And yes, it starts with individuals and families and churches, but he's, he's teaching a different view of civil government than the pagan view. I mean, am I way off base here, Joel? Uh, no. Um, why would we think from, if, if, if we really believe that Adam's sin, in, you know, when, when he sinned, that affected nature, affected everything, affected the way we think, right? Mm -hmm. But it somehow didn't affect the uh, civil magistrate. He was still going to do the right thing uh, without any kind, of, any kind of input from the scriptures at all. What, what are we possibly thinking about this? And we, especially since we have all manner of abuse by civil magistrates, beginning with uh, King Saul, for example, which we may or may not talk about later, but King Saul comes in and he starts taxing the people at 10%, right? And Samuel, the, 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 uh, the judge and prophet, says, you guys aren't going to like this 10% tax. Of course, they say, we want to we do it anyway. But Samuel defined that as abuse mm -hmm. in 1 Samuel 8. He's, he, he's trying to talk them out of it. And he's even saying he's going to take your, the, the best of your, of your sons, your daughters, for, for his army and, and to work in, well in, in his fields and so forth. So if, 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 we, if we will accept the premise, which is impossible not to accept, that civil magistrates occasionally abuse and tyrannize people, mm -hmm. then, we have, then we only have two choices. Either the Bible does talk about it or it doesn't. You know, and and my favorite, one of my favorite um, guys here is Herod, King Herod, when uh, Christ is born. You know, I just wonder if today's seminarians, I guess, I guess I'm aiming at seminary today a little bit, but I just wonder if they would, you know, maybe want to save Herod in this way. Herod, yes, there is a child born king of the Jews. He's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. But not to worry, Herod, this is just a spiritual king. That's all. He's got nothing to do with the way you rule. Mm -hmm. You can go on killing people, murdering people. Later on, uh, some of your relatives can go uh, marry somebody else's wife. None of that matters, Herod. Just, you, 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 just, you just should believe in him in, in, in your heart. And I have to wonder what we would also say to John, the Baptist, when he confronts Herod about his brother's wife and all the other things that Herod did. Mm -hmm. And John is definitely saying to Herod, listen, there's a God over you, Herod, that you, will that you are responsible to answer to as a civil magistrate. The only way that that's not true is if, I, you know what, I'm a civil magistrate now, I'm in Caesar's department, and uh, 
we have this little carved out area called Caesar's Department, right. and everybody in there doesn't answer to Christ. Chris, if the civil magistrate answers to Christ for his actions, then obviously we have direction from Scripture as to what the civil magistrate can and cannot do. Right. Yeah, and that's a great point. And before moving on from this, from this objection, which again, this objection was, well, Paul wasn't trying to change society. The early church wasn't trying to change society. Therefore, Joel, you going out there and addressing the county commissioners and bringing the law of God to bear on the civil sphere as it relates to crime and punishment, as it relates to government education, as it relates to forced taxation, you're way off base, Joel, because Paul wasn't interested in any of those things. And I would just contend that he certainly was. And why, why is he praying for kings and all authority if he wasn't, if he wasn't interested in and that? And why is he teaching the church that the civil magistrate is to enforce God's law? Right? I mean, Which he, he clearly does in Romans he 13. He clearly does that. So now we could sit here and nitpick and say, well, that shouldn't be your only focus. And of course it's not our only focus. You always get that yeah. for objection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you, you never get that, though, if, you're having, if you're, you, have, you have a marriage ministry and that's your main focus. I hardly ever hear anybody say, well, listen, you can't focus too much on marriages. You need to focus a little bit on the civil realm. Like, yeah, yeah. no. So it's, it's always, usually, I should say, it seems very often that it's, it's more of an objection to the heart of the matter, to the issue of why are you even bringing the Bible into the civil sphere? And those are, you know, they're diversions. Oh, you're, uh, you, you're overemphasizing this. Oh, your tone's not right. Oh, like, instead of dealing with the issue, which when you get down to the heart of the matter, a lot of these, these you know, church leaders will say, well, Paul wasn't interested in transforming society. We shouldn't be either. Now, then they'll bring some more objections, which I want to get to a few of them, but I, I think... I, that's an open challenge to anyone, and I would invite anyone to come in here and, and do a debate as well on did Paul want to transform, you know, the civil government? Was Paul, was Paul trying to do that? So um, I, would, I would challenge anyone on that. You know, Paul, um, <clears throat> Paul not only tried, he was successful, and uh, I don't think, you know, we'd be wrong to say that Paul even consciously was trying to transform the nations. He was following in the steps of his Lord, who said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He's applying the, the Christian worldview to, to all, 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 uh, every area of life. And then the Puritan commentator Matthew Henry says that, uh, commenting on Matthew 28, do your utmost to make the nations Christian nations. And so if Paul wasn't trying to transform society, including civil government, uh, well, he succeeded anyway, because Western civilization was radically transformed by biblical law. So... <clears throat> Let's move on from that objection, unless you have anything else you need to add to that. The objection of, you know, well, Paul wasn't interested in this, so you guys shouldn't be either. You know, if it's true that the, 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 um, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God, we might want to find out what it, lo- what it means to obey God in the civil, in the civil, ma- civil sphere. Right. We just might want to be interested in that. Yeah, well, let's, let's go. that'll take us to our next objection. Which our next objection is um, the nations will always be idolatrous. Okay, the nations are not going to respond to this, so why even bother? Okay, maybe they'll say, all right, well, yeah, it does apply, but you know what? The nations are not going to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, the nations are, are always going to be idolatrous. They will always reject God's law. So this is basically a lost cause. And now you see that we're getting, we're getting away from the mandate Mm-hmm. And this is what happens when, when you deal with these arguments. Well, if you make the case, well, well, Paul certainly taught on it. 
the Old Testament teaches on it, the New Testament teaches on it. The Scripture is a, is a cohesive whole. Uh, Christ demands obedience from the nations. And when people can't answer that and say, well, okay, well, but it's not going to work. So mm -hmm. that's why you shouldn't do it. it, it right. It's always trying to find a reason to say the Church of Jesus Christ should not be boldly declaring in every area of life that Christ is Lord. Uh, and so this is the next objection. Well, it's not going to work. So why don't you start with that, Joel? Uh, how do you, you know, initially, what are your thoughts when people say, well, okay, but they're not going to listen and they're never going to obey? Yeah, yeah. I would ask them this question, are, are you obeying? Mm. Um, did Christ do a work in your life to cause you to obey? If he did, and you are, then why can't, he, why can't that occur with your neighbor? Why can't that occur with whole nations? And I would argue that it has occurred with whole nations. But be, before I get to that, uh, let's go to the Old Testament. Um, uh, yeah, you I know that, can't that, do that. You can't do that. That forbidden <laughs> area, right? Yeah, I, I, I remember, it's a quick, quick story, Chris. I remember I was um, working with some folks who wanted to give me the old, that's the Old Testament, so it doesn't count thing, right? So one day I said to him, I said, look, guys, um, in the Old Testament it says the word of the Lord is tried, like silver tried seven times, right? That's the Old Testament. So I asked them if they would, they would inform me how many times the New Testament was tried, eight, nine, ten times, whatever. No, it's all the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So you are, when you say the Old Testament doesn't matter, you're not only denying the Old Testament, you are denying the New Testament as well because the New Testament confirms the Old Testament. And I've seen it again and again, Chris. I'm sorry I'm off track here a little bit. But I've seen it again and again. People reject the Old Testament will ultimately begin rejecting parts of the New Testament as well. Gets cut down, cut down, cut down. Andy, but, Andy Stanley? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a terrific example. It's getting smaller and smaller. And when the Word of God gets smaller and smaller, what, do we, what fills up the vacuum? The old word of man, word of man. Which, uh, which, which, which is real problems. But Jonah, you know, God tells, God does not tell Jonah if it's going to work or not, what he's, what he's saying. He says simply, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now, let's talk about change of culture and whatnot. So what happens is the, uh, the, the king of Nineveh, he says, um, look, we are pretty bad here. Everybody put away the violence that is in your hand. Everybody get out sackcloth and ashes. Now, putting away the violence in their hand, do you think that's changing their culture? Mm -hmm. Well, of course it is. So we have at least Nineveh, right, saying it's not going to work. It did work. Uh, but, I mean, that shouldn't, be, that shouldn't be an objection anyway. Because there are times, like God said to Ezekiel, you know what, this is what I want you to say to them. Whether they hear or whether they don't, they're going to know that a prophet has been among them. Mm -hmm. Ezekiel, it's your job to say what needs to be said. It's my, don't, don't worry about the results. You worry about doing what I tell you to do. Is that not the charge of every pastor? And is that, not, is that not the exact opposite of the modern seminaries? I mean, I keep going back to this, and, and I think I had a Freudian slip last night. We were, uh, we were doing family worship, and I was reading something, and it said, I was supposed to read cemetery, and right. I read seminary. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I think there are a lot of dead men there. Now, of course, there are some, some good men that have come out. Of some, but the point is, that's, that's the exact opposite of all the, the contextualization, the, the mission, missionology, or however you say it. Oh, how do we get results? Yeah. And yeah. no, we're not opposed to results, yeah. but our, our priority is faithfulness to God 
and what he has called us to do. And that actually is the most pragmatic thing. But anyway, yeah, you just yeah. saying that, that's the opposite of, of, of the approach of, of most seminaries. Well, that's not good enough, Joel. Standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord, just isn't going to fly. So, you know, we need to figure out how to get the results. Yeah, yeah. But I want to know what reason. Once you reject the scriptures, the, the actual word of God, now I'm interested in what kind of results you're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Because any other, it, it, do we really believe that on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is really sinking sand? Or are we abandoning that solid ground for the sinking sand? And that is exactly what we're doing in the case of Andy Stanley as, as the scriptures get smaller and smaller. I don't know if the scriptures inform his worldview much at all anymore. I, I, it, it sure doesn't seem to be that. Certainly doesn't seem to be the case. So, and, and talk about what's going to work. You, you know, if, if Jonah would come to us today and say, you know what, okay, uh, I just got tossed out by the whale, uh, big fish, and I'm going to Nineveh. And, you know, God told me to cry against it. Here's my message. 40 days and 40 nights in this place is going to be destroyed. I mean... <laughs> can, what kind of message is that? Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine the council uh, going, you know, going, going towards Jonah? But interestingly enough, uh, Jonah says that. They repent. Ezekiel... My wife and I were talking about this recently. And Ezekiel... I think he had the hardest job of almost any. They all had hard jobs. Ezekiel had to go to the captives. And what I didn't realize, as much as I did just, just recently, he's going to the captives. They, Chris, they've been carried away. All the stuff that Jeremiah has said has happened. It's all happened. They're now in Babylon. And there were lies other, other prophets told. And they're going to come back. You know, It didn't happen. They're all over there now. Now Ezekiel is sent to these people. And God is saying there's still a rebellious house. Well, then why would God send Ezekiel to a rebellious house? Mm-hmm. You know what? None of Ezekiel's business, none of our business, God's business. Our business is to be faithful. Why are we saying we're only going to be faithful if it'll work? Who, who possibly gave us the permission to think that way about what God has told us to do? Shame. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, and that basically settles it right there, to be honest. The issue of... Well, we shouldn't do this because of anything that we think might happen as a result. I mean, if that's the case, uh, you know, most of the times that the gospel goes forth, especially on the initial hearing, people reject it. So, therefore, why are we even sharing the gospel? People aren't going to listen. You know, why are we trying to transform uh, families? And, again, you get the other thing. Well, no, there's going to be no perfect nation, and we might not even have time to get into that. But, of course, there's going to be no perfect uh, nation, you know, there's going to be no perfect individual, no perfect church, you know, this side of eternity. Does that mean, therefore, that we give up proclaiming the word of God to the family and to the church? Certainly not. So, I, I'm laughing. I mean, you hear that all the time. Well, it's not going to be a perfect nation. Okay, then give it up in your family then. Right. You know, it's either a per- perfect family or let them go out and play in the street. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. G- g- give up. I- if that's your standard, because the nation will never be perfect, therefore you don't declare the demands of the Lord, who, the ascended Lord of glory to the nation, then, yeah, use that same standard in your church, in your family, and in your personal life. Uh, and, I mean, that's what pagans do. Who cares? Do whatever you want. But, but Christians cannot do that. Um, and nobody can without, with impunity. God will, will hold us accountable to his word. So, yeah, we, we got maybe 10, 15 minutes left, Joel. I want to 
do a little bit more on this idea that national, you know, the, the nations will always be idolatrous, and then maybe if we have time, briefly go back to Romans 13 very quickly, and, and we could have a whole other episode on that. But I think you've, you know, you basically dealt with the issue because it does ultimately it doesn't matter um, how people respond, how, how the nations respond. But, you know, okay, take that. That really ends the argument. But let's take it a step further. If you'd really like some more response to that objection, uh, will the nations always be idolatrous? And I think the answer is, is no, they will not. Um, let me read a couple uh, quotes here. And uh, again, this might not be acceptable uh, source, but it's, it's the Bible. And uh, Psalm 86, 9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, Lord, and shall glorify your name. Now again, I said that tongue-in-cheek, the Bible is the authority, but to these, to these seminaries and people saying, well, no, you know, the nations, aren't going, the nations will not come to Christ. Well, the Word of God says they will. So you've you got to deal with that. So the argument that the nations will always be idolatrous runs up against Psalm 86, 9. It runs up against Jeremiah three seventeen. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. Okay, so, and there's more Isaiah chapter 2 and on yeah, and on we Isaiah, can go. Yeah. Um, now, are those idolatrous nations? No, they're not, right? An idolatrous nation is not one in which there remain, you know, sinners mm-hmm. or unbelievers or even, you know, private idolatry. Mm-hmm. An idolatrous nation is one that has openly uh, rejected Christ's lordship and is ordering its affairs according to humanistic law. So, will the nations always be idolatrous? No, they won't. But more than that, right, even if you want to get into the weeds of, well, when will all this happen, it has already happened in history mm-hmm. at different points. I yes. mean, you've already mentioned Jonah, so I really don't yeah. even need to belabor this point, but let's go back again to Second Chronicles, where you have King Josiah, who he makes a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. I'm reading from Second Chronicles 34. It goes on to say, And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now to me, Joel, that does not sound like an idolatrous nation. That sounds like a nation that has repented and is following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So again, Settles it again. Okay, you've already made the point. It doesn't matter how the nations respond. Yeah, they might, they might respond with defiance to our message, but our, our job is to be faithful. On top of that, we have warned from Scripture to believe that well, the nations will not always be idolatrous. We have these great promises as the gospel spreads. And on top of that, we have examples in, in biblical history of nations that were not idolatrous. Okay, now here comes the next objection, and I'll give you a chance to respond to whatever you'd like here, but the next objection then is, well, okay, fine, but it's not going to last. Oh, yeah, you hear that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. not going to last, and, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> I wrote this in, in my editorial, but my answer to that, for those people that say, okay, well, okay, fine, yeah, Christ is Lord over the, over the nations, the Bible does speak to it, uh, it really doesn't matter if it's our duty or not. Okay, and fine, there have been cases when nations did seek to honor the Lord, but it's not going to last. And my response to that is what I tell my, my 10-year-old son uh, when, he's, when he complains about uh, having to cut the grass again mm-hmm. next week. I say, you know, it, it's going to grow back, Dad. Yeah, I know it will. 
cut it anyway. <laughs> that, that's that's your job. So uh, of course, of course, you know, not everything lasts perfectly in this world. Again, th so the objection that well, what King Josiah did didn't last. Okay, well, yeah, last time my son cut the grass, it didn't last either. That doesn't negate the fact that he needs he should have cut it then, and he should cut it again. And so our job is to be faithful to Christ. So even if a great work of God in history ended up not lasting, and we can look at the, the Puritans and the pilgrims, and people say, oh, well, that didn't last. Well, okay, what are you going to do about it? Uh, you know, are you, are you going to sit there and, and, and moan and say, well, we're just going to retreat into our, you know, our, our Sunday school and seminaries and wait for the end? Are you going to get back, get back on that lawnmower, and get back to work? So I don't know. Comment on that if you would. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of um, Alfred the Great. You know, we, we, we have... See, I, I, I argue with this idea that it won't last. It has lasted. You know, Alfred the Great was called the father of the English common law. He wrote directly from the scriptures in, into the common law, especially Exodus and some from the Sermon on the Mount as well, right? We are still benefiting from what he wrote in that common law. Right. And, and shame on us for saying it doesn't last. You're still benefiting from it. You know, for example, um, we still have the idea, just a quick example, of the idea that it doesn't, if someone is murdered, it doesn't matter who it was that was murdered. It could have been a, uh, a you know, a drug addict in the street, or it could have been a, a official. We have, you know, a high court official. We have this idea that the punishment should be the same. Mm -hmm. Now that is being undermined now. You know, a police officer gets killed. You, you know, uh, that that's worse or whatever. But when Alfred came to the throne. If you killed a nobody, you might just have to pay a fine. But if you killed a somebody, the fine was much greater. Alfred said, no, 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 this is what the Bible has to say. It's the same penalty. You don't give uh, authority or you don't give precedence to the rich and you don't feel sorry for the poor. If a poor person called a rich, killed a rich person, oh, he's poor, he's a victim, so it doesn't matter. What a shame that Alfred applied the Bible to the civil state. Yeah, I, I know, right? Uh, what was he thinking? Yeah, he, 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 he should have been out there preaching the gospel somewhere. He was preaching the gospel. Mm. Know that. He was preaching the gospel. He was a gospel-preaching man. Uh, you know, translated books and, and, and all that kind of thing. So today, our tradition, Alfred gets it from the Bible, but our understanding that murder is murder and it doesn't matter who, it came from Alfred. Because that wasn't the case when he ascended the throne, but he applied the Bible. Right. So you are benefiting today. What do you mean it doesn't last? It's lasted a thousand years. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that even does better than my answer. But I think both of those things need to be taken into account. There are ups and downs and ebbs and flows. But to your point, yeah, the tra I mean, and that's just an argument for the trajectory of the advancement yes. of the kingdom. Yes. That, yes, the, 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 these efforts uh, of applying the biblical worldview and the gospel to all of life has led to things that, are firm and will not. They, as much as they try, yeah, we're going through a, a bit of a down period here, um, but it'll come back up. And so, yeah, there's ups and downs, but it's not inevitable that the nations are idolatrous. And we need to be able to make a distinction. That's the other thing. Well, we're always fallen, so the nation's always idolatrous. Again, we don't talk that way about a church. Right. We don't talk that way about a family. We don't talk that way about an individual. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these seminary-trained pastors would say, well, you know, a church could be a faithful church. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're faithful because they're following God's Word and seeking to apply the gospel to all of life. And they can distinguish that from an unfaithful church mm -hmm. that is accepting sodomite 
mirage and abortion, they can say, well, that church is not faithful. That's a synagogue of Satan, yeah. to borrow the language of the, of the confession, the Westminster Confession. And they can make that distinction. And the individual and the family they can, they can say, well, this is a family, this is a Christian family where the parents are trying to honor the Lord and teach their children the Word of God. And here is a pagan family that is not doing that, and they can do it in the individual. But they can't, when it comes to a nation, they have a hard time saying, well, here's a, here's a Christian nation that is trying to order its affairs according to the yeah. Word of God. It's happened in history, uh, and it'll happen again. And so, again, it's not inevitable. And uh, do the idolaters sometimes take over, if you will, and get a following? Yes. Okay, but there's something very, uh, there's some good news in the Bible, Joel, and um, that is that the gospel uh, will bless all the nations. And in yep. fact, in Gal- Galatians 3, it specifically says that the scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. And you know what it said to him? It didn't say, Abraham, uh, your sins will be forgiven, which is true, right? There, of course, that's a, a huge part of the gospel. Without forgiveness of sins, and are, are being cleansed of our guilt, they're, they're, you know, we have no hope of, any, of anything. But that's not what Galatians 3.8 says. It says to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That was the gospel preached to Abraham. So yeah, things look dark. Yeah, sometimes nations are idolatrous. Wait a minute, I think you misquoted that. In you shall the children of Israel be blessed. No, all the nations, all the nations of the earth. And, and that's, that's, that's the gospel right yeah. there. And so when we, are, when we sit here and say, well, the nations will never obey. Uh, there's no hope. Well, you're not believing the gospel. No, no you're, you're, you're not. Um, uh, we talk about Romans 13. Uh, Romans 15, I want to uh, address this because I think it's a passage that these people that say the nations, uh, people that say that you don't, shouldn't even have a Christian nation, the nations that will never believe or whatever. I want you to listen to what Paul says here. And, and, and this is, um, this is uh, Paul quoting the Old Testament which kind of tells me that he believed it was valid, right? right? But is it like doubly good because it's in the Old and the New Testament? Do they get like double? I don't know. Anyway, this is what Paul says about the nations, okay? He says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. What, What promises? And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Listen to this. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, O ye Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise uh, to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. What more do you possibly want to know about Christian nations and about the reign of Christ and the responsibility of all nations to serve Christ, and the fact that it will right. happen. What, what, what more do you want? Yeah, yeah. amen. Uh, so I think we're not, gonna, we're not going to be able to address Romans 13 today, and I think that's, that's worthy of another episode. And again, I would challenge anybody, and I would invite, if anybody knows anybody that would like to come in here and discuss this with us, and even, even debate Pastor Joel here, Please. Uh, on, on Romans 13, does it give the civil government carte blanche to do whatever it wants is that the authority that God is granting to the civil government there? Or is Paul saying the civil government is ordained of God to enforce his law? Right? So, and, and therefore, there's limitations. Uh, the civil government is not allowed to enforce humanistic law. So we'll save that for another time. Uh, I want to end, at least on this topic, with, with this. The idea of, well, the nations, just to wrap up what we were talking about, they'll always be idolatrous. I mean, we've addressed several aspects of that. And... Um, 
yeah, we have work to do. We have a lot of work to do, Joel. The Christian church has had to work very hard throughout history, and there's a lot more work we have to do. And I know you have these conversations, and again, we can't get into it now, but when we have the mindset of, well, the end's coming in 20 years, 100 years, why would you work with the long-term vision? And you and I both believe that, you know, we don't know the exact day and hour, of course, but there's a lot more to go, right? Because Christ has said that he's, you know, Scripture says Christ is putting all his enemies under his feet, and then comes the end. So all the nations need to be brought to Christ. So, but every now and then you can, you can stop, you can admire your work, you can look at the, the freshly mown lawn and, and say, yeah, you know what, that, that's a blessing, and then you get back to work. And so, for example, we've mentioned uh, Jonah, you've mentioned Alfred the Great, we've mentioned Second Chronicles. Again, I want to read this from the Kingdom of Hawaii Constitution of 1840, which the Kingdom of Hawaii is, is, is a great story, sad story too, of how um, you had the Christian missionaries come there with the gospel and with biblical law, and then you had uh, other people come later and pervert that. But this was their, their constitution of their nation in 1840, a part of it. No law shall be enacted, which is at variance with the word of the Lord Jehovah, or at variance with the general spirit of his word. All laws of the island shall be in consistency with the general spirit of God's law. Now, to me, that's not an idolatrous nation. Did they get everything right? Probably not. Right? Will we ever get everything right? No, but again, that doesn't mean we don't strive to be Christian in our homes, our families, our churches, and our nation. So the nations will not always be idolatrous, um, and we've seen it in history. So Joel, final word for you, because we do have to wrap up here, and we can continue these objections later. We can address the Romans 13. But anything else you want to say on the overall topic of objections to applying the Bible to the civil sphere and to the civil government? Because I'm sure you've heard them all. Uh, and if there's a new one, I'm sure you'd be happy to address it. But maybe just anything else you want to say here as we wrap up. I'll say this. Today in the church, we have ideas about how to love God. Um, we have worship bands. We have, uh, you know, some folks have, you know, worship service. They wave flags, whatever. Uh, some want different signs and wonders and so forth. And, and we're all about this deep relationship with God. But I want to know, how are we good at loving our neighbor? Christ said that that command is like the first one. Mm -hmm. If we will abandon God's idea of how civil government should operate, then I am saying that we have abandoned love of neighbor. How can you possibly love your neighbor while we, while we say, well, you know, while my neighbor's being oppressed, my neighbor's being killed in the womb, mm -hmm. you know what? God has nothing to say about that. Right. T tell me how to love your neighbor and abandon what he has to say to the civil magistrate at the time. You can't. If you abandon God's law, you've abandoned love of neighbor. Well said. Well, for more, on, uh, for more of those nuggets of wisdom, check out irbc.church for past Pastor Joel Saint. Uh, sermons are on sermon audio as well. Uh, also go to uh, the futureofchristendom.org. We should have more information on this February 15th event there in Lidditz on abortion. So uh, check that out as well. For more information on the Lancaster Patriot, go to the LancasterPatriot.com. Subscribe to our print newspaper. It's delivered once a week right to your house. Uh, if you have any questions, any issues you'd like us to address, send them into info at the LancasterPatriot.com. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. <laughs>